Um, Tonight's scripture reading is from 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 13. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. This is the word of the Lord. All right, will you all join me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we, uh, we need your spirit to open up these words to us. We pray that you would send him upon us, God, that we would know you better, that we would love you more, that we would uh, be able to endure in this life and faith. Lord, we pray these things trusting in your son and his work on our behalf. Amen. So uh, we've been uh, going through 2 Corinthians together this summer as our church celebrates our 20th year of uh, being in D.C. And uh, for those of you who haven't been with us, a couple of kind of, uh, of key thing, themes that I think uh, set the stage for our text together tonight. Uh, first of all, there are influential people in Corinth uh, who are casting doubts about Paul's ministry, about things like his lack of eloquence and his lack of connections, uh, and about the fact that he seems like he has to work way too hard for his ministry. And so Paul is over and over again trying to show them that they can trust him, that he is a faithful minister of the gospel. And he, he goes on again in verse four, kind of sounds like he's bragging about himself. But really all he's saying is, look, I'm not going to try and puff myself up with some fancy speech or eloquent words. All I have to commend our ministry to you is the gospel that we preach and the fruit of the spirit in our ministry. But then one of the other um, accusations that he keeps having to defend himself against is that, man, it seems like Paul really suffers a lot in his ministry. If he was a faithful minister, would God allow him to suffer so much? But right before um, our text tonight, we looked at this uh, for a while last week, this great theme of reconciliation that Paul picks up, and it leads so nicely into this text. I'm gonna, we spent a lot of time on this last week, but I'm going to read these words again just because they're so rich. And if you take these things to heart tonight, that is, uh, will be more beneficial to you than anything else I'll say. Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 5, In Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, 
and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. And then that leads right into the beginning of our text tonight and this, uh, this bold statement in verse two, where Paul says, behold, now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. I was on a, a long drive earlier this week, uh, coming back from vacation, and I was listening to a, a podcast about the history of Ireland to pass the time, something I, I didn't really know anything about. Uh, And one of the interesting things that this Irish history professor talked about was the prominent role of poets in Irish history. Now, some of these poets, uh, especially early in the 20th century as they're uh, they're fighting for independence from Britain, some of these poets were actually really active in the community and leading organizations. Some of them were even actually active in the military, which surprised me. But one of the, actually the primary reasons why they were so influential is the way that they connected their movement to ancient history. At that time, it was uh, very easy for the average person in Dublin, say, to imagine that the whole history of Ireland had just been under British rule. That's all they knew. Britain had been there for so long. But this group of poets were able to tap into ancient stories and ancient figures of Irish history to write about these things in, in beautiful and captivating ways that allowed people to grasp this vision that they had for a culture in a nation that was totally separate from the one that was ruling over them. So people began to share this desire for independence and connecting to their ancient story and liven them to the cause. This quote that uh, Paul uses in verse two of our text tonight, it's from the book of Isaiah, uh, who was a prophet who uh, spoke to the people of God hundreds of years before the time of Christ. Isaiah and the other prophets are constantly uh, looking ahead to this day of salvation, this day of the Lord, this future day where God's people would be freed from bondage. And this was the vision of hope for a people in exile that Isaiah was writing to. Now, when Jesus comes onto the scene, one of the One of the first things that he does in his public ministry is he actually goes up in front of a crowded synagogue. He stands at the pulpit to speak. Somebody gives him a scroll from the book of Isaiah, and he reads words about good news to the poor and freedom from captivity in the year of the Lord's favor, this day that's coming. And he says to them, I am the fulfillment of this passage. And then Paul does the same thing here. He picks up on the way that Jesus talked about himself in this ancient story of God's plan for salvation for his people has come to its ultimate fulfillment. What Christ did in his death on the cross and in his victory over death in his resurrection is an earth-shattering event, and it changed the scope of history. It's part of a long, ancient story of redemption for God's people, and it's the climax of that story, ushering in a, a new age of human history, building a bridge between heaven and earth where people like us, lowly, finite, sinful people can bridge the gap and come into God's presence by faith. Day of salvation 
has arrived, and everybody here is invited to be a part of that great story of salvation in our context. We're being urged, we're being pleaded with to not hear that story of God's grace and leave unchanged. Now is the time. Now is the day. But what does life look like in this age of salvation? What does life look like as we look ahead in hope? We're going to look at two things uh, together this morning, endurance and openness. Endurance and openness. First, endurance. This is one of the many places where uh, we get a compact summary of the ministry of Paul, where he gives us a, a highlight reel of his ministry, or maybe like the little two-minute introduction to a Netflix show of like, what happened last time? What happened in the book of Acts? This little introduction to his ministry and who he is and what he's done. And what God is giving us in this text is the life of a faithful witness. Paul, as an apostle, is an ambassador of another. He is ambassador of King Jesus. And his role in the church and uh, his context is obviously very different from ours. But God gives us this example. He gives us this life so that we can see, that we can begin to glimpse through this account how King Jesus, as he reigns in heaven during this age of salvation, how he uh, comes to call and equip us to endure in faith so that we would be able to say clearly along with Paul that yes, following Christ is worth it. It's worth enduring for. Yes, even though sometimes I suffer, even though I am discouraged in this life, God's kingdom is the only place I want to be. Where would we go to find the words of life other than at the feet of Christ? So we go through uh, this list in verses 4 to 10 together. Um, really, uh, the, 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 probably the most appropriate way to think about this list is to kind of separate out this by great endurance. Really, that's more of like a summary or a header under which everything else falls in the list that follows. And this is such a, a prominent theme in the New Testament, endurance in faith. It's a, an important part of Paul's theology. And so what we see here is basically uh, in this list like a playbook for great endurance. And it, uh, it actually breaks down pretty nicely into three sections. So the first is verses four to five, where we see really what Paul is enduring, what he endures, what is the context of his endurance. And he says this, that his ministry context is in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. You know, he's, uh, he's not shy about the fact that his ministry involves pain and suffering. This is not the good life as most people would define it, the context in which he's living. It's hard. Now, while some of the, the false teachers in Corinth, some of his, uh, his rivals, as it were, are saying that Paul's suffering is a sign that God must have something against him. Now, Paul understands that actually his endurance through suffering is the way to prove the validity of his ministry. He understands that the power of the gospel is not in avoiding suffering, that the power of the gospel is to give purpose and hope to our pain and suffering. We can break down this, this list of uh, nine things that we have in here even more, that, talking about what Paul has to endure. So Paul endures afflictions, hardships, and calamities. He's talking about sort of the general evils that we all see, that he saw in his context, both outside and within the church. But then uh, after that, he gets a little bit more concrete. 
He gets more specific that he has experienced beatings, imprisonments, and riots, these things that Paul encountered personally in his ministry, the things that we uh, read about all the time in the book of Acts. For example, the ridicule, the contempt, the violence that he faces for preaching the gospel. But then there's something that's a little bit different about those last uh, three items in verse 5 that Paul is talking about in his endurance. Labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Paul, uh, he suffered so many ways. He suffered so many things that were imposed upon him from the outside, from the ruling authorities, from the religious leaders of his time. But he is also so secure in his reconciliation. He's so confident in his rootedness, the foundation that he has in Christ and in his gospel, that he is willing to voluntarily enter into suffering on top of what is imposed upon him. He chooses to labor for the gospel. That's a choice that he makes. He chooses to sometimes sacrifice sleep for the work that he is doing. He chooses to go hungry sometimes on his missionary journeys when he could easily support himself in his tent-making trade. He could give this up at any moment and make himself a good living where he would have no problem having food, putting food on the table. But he is so free in the gospel that he can actually choose to enter into trials, knowing full well that there is a good chance that they will lead to pain and suffering for him. The suffering of Christ on our behalf is a freeing thing to come to know. It gives us the freedom to actually enter into the sufferings of others in this world. Whatever context we're called to be ambassadors, just as, as, call is, as Paul is, he says we are all ambassadors for Christ, whether that's your family or your job or friendships, ministry in this church, we can be confident in the enduring faithfulness of our Savior as we endure times of suffering with others. And the freedom that we experience in the gospel is, yes, absolutely freedom from the weight of sin and the penalty of death. That is vital. But it's also a freedom to be able to do hard things, to be able to do uncomfortable things for the sake of the gospel. The freedom to be able to have that really hard conversation with a brother or sister who needs to be confronted about something. The freedom to be able to share the gospel with someone in a context where that is really strange and probably a little uncomfortable. The freedom to be uncomfortable with the kind of people that we're in relationship with, to reach out to people in our city, maybe most people overlook and to say that, no, we are so rooted and strong in the gospel of Christ that we can actually walk alongside them with whatever discomfort comes along with that. So that's the first part of this list, verses four to five, where Paul is describing what he endures. Then we get how he endures. This is in verses six to seven. We're not gonna spend very much time on this. Really just wanna point out one thing, that is that he highlights that this is the work of God. He says, I have endured as a servant of God by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. As he describes Christians as ambassadors of Christ the King, emissaries who speak a message of reconciliation on behalf of the King. But the power of his ethics, of his character, of his life depends solely on the power of the Spirit working in him. And this is why Paul can have such a, a rich theology of weakness. 
that we read about in the New Testament, why sometimes our endurance can actually look like weakness to the watching world, to those who are looking on. Our patience and our love and our uh, kindness probably don't look particularly powerful a lot of the time, but our weakness is an avenue for the strength of God to work. Christ humbling himself and taking the form of the servant was the most powerful thing that he could do. It unleashed a power that the world could not have imagined. And faithful endurance is not about trying harder and doing more. It is the work and power of the Holy Spirit in us. That leads naturally to this, this final section of this long list in verses 8 to 10, which is the, the result of Paul's endurance. We've looked at what he's enduring, how he endures. Now we see the result. And the way you view the life and the ministry of Paul is going to depend a lot on whether, you know, whether or not you know what to look for. I'm not a particularly creative or uh, artistic person. So when I um, see a piece of fine art, I can often notice and maybe even appreciate some of the really superficial kind of surface level details of a beautiful painting or a beautiful sculpture or something like that. But if I have somebody trained, somebody who knows about art and art history, often they will be able to see what's going on with a piece of art and be able to explain why the artist made decisions that they made and what they really accomplished with a particular piece, things that I don't have the eyes to see. Now, if you look at Paul's ministry in a superficial, surface-level way, like apparently some people in Corinth are doing, you'll probably only see the dishonor, the punishments, the sorrows, the poverty. But for those who have eyes to see, Paul is saying, look, see the truth of my ministry. See the intimate knowledge that Paul has of the things of God, the life that he says he experiences in the faith of death, face of death, the, the spiritual riches that he has in spite of his apparent material poverty. Paul is urging the Corinthians, he's urging us to embrace the the fullness of the gospel and the grace of God on offer, to have the truth to see how our lives fight, to be able to see the great truth of God's great story and how our lives fit into that story, to be able to see the day of salvation and everything that that means for us, to be able to see the apostles as faithful ministers to Christ. It would have been a, a lot easier, I think, for Paul to preach a message that can get people out of any type of pain or suffering, to preach a message of, uh, of wealth and healthy families and career advancement and a great reputation. But the message that we have in the gospel is actually way more powerful than that message would have been. The way that the power of the gospel is revealed in the life of Paul and in the lives of countless faithful saints throughout history is their endurance. That says more about the gospel than living the good life ever could. Communicates more about what Christ has done for us than riches or career success or having everything you could ever want, ever could. And that's Paul's witness to us. That's our witness to each other. That's how we encourage one another in this place through our endurance in faith. Let's move on to our, uh, our second point this morning, and that is openness been looking at endurance as we consider uh, the life of Paul as he lays it out here. I will wrap up, move to close by looking at 
the openness that we get to experience in the great day of salvation. The, the Greek that Paul uses in verse 11 here is actually very vivid. It gets a little bit softened when you translate it to English, but when he talks about speaking freely to the Corinthians, speaking freely to us, having his heart be open to them, what he's saying is that he's opening up the deepest parts of who he is to them, that he is longing for them from the core of who he is, that they would see the salvation of God and live accordingly, that they would be reconciled to God and to each other, reconciled to Paul. But Paul can see that there is something that's holding them back. There's something that's holding them back. There are a few uh, occasions in Paul's letters where he talks about the, the Christian life as the clothes that you wear. He says, put on these things, love, patience, kindness, compassion. Make the, the fruit of the Spirit clothes that you wear. Make these the qualities that the world sees in you. I was, a, I was an athlete growing up. I played pretty much every sport that I could, uh, especially soccer and, uh, surprisingly, basketball. Uh, <laughs> I know you're shocked. Um, and, uh, you know, I played all the way up through high school uh, into college, and 15 years later, I still have this recurring nightmare where... I'm on the bus with my team, we're going to a game. Uh, we get to wherever we're going, we're all getting off the bus, they all grab their bags, head into the locker room, and I realize I don't have any of my stuff. I don't have the right shoes, I don't have my jersey. There's no way I can play. I'm wearing dress clothes, something totally inappropriate. And I start to feel this, this panic, right? Like, how could I possibly get my stuff together? Is there any way? And then at this time, I usually start uh, wake up in a frenzy with my heart racing and realize like, Everything's fine. It's a, it's a terrible feeling to show up somewhere wearing the completely wrong clothes, the wrong outfit for the occasion. To be a Christian who has been reconciled to God but closes off your heart to your family in Christ, it doesn't make sense. It's like showing up to your team's basketball game trying to play in dress clothes or showing up to a formal wedding in a t-shirt and shorts. It's inconsistent with the grandeur of what you've been invited to. And Paul can tell that they're holding back in some way, that they're not wearing the spiritual clothing of the gospel, that they're not pursuing reconciliation. The Corinthians haven't fully grasped the grace of God that has been given them. They're restricted, they're constricted in how they're living out the gospel. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of us probably understand this feeling. We want to close up our hearts when there's a possibility of pain. How many of us have uh, had the experience of, of seeing something that you know you really should be doing, but fear of failure or fear of embarrassment maybe gets in the way? Or maybe it's feeling like there's a, a pattern of sin in your life that you really need to address or change, but instead of change, we just constrict ourselves. We'd rather be in this comfortable, familiar pattern than try to seek out the power of the Spirit in our lives. It's adopting a, a, a small, safe vision of who Christ is. It's a scary thing to open up your hearts to people, to give them your affections, to be emotionally invested in a relationship with someone. This uh, C.S. Lewis quote came to mind, which if you've been in our uh, Presbyterian circles for a while, you've probably heard this before, but it's so good. He says this, 
To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. No, it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. If you open up your heart in this life, at some point you are going to suffer. At some point, you will probably experience betrayal. The only way to avoid pain is to avoid loving. You know, blocking off ourselves and our affections and our emotions from people is not going to work the way that we think it will in the long term. In this day of salvation that Christ has inaugurated, this, this great age of reconciliation between God and his people, the grace of God that is on offer here, it's a heart reality. Right? It's not just a head reality. It's not a few phrases that we know in our head. It's not a few pieces of theology that make perfect sense. It is a heart reality. Because the spirit of God at work in you gets to the deepest parts of who we are. He leaves no part of our hearts untouched. We don't em- embrace pain and suffering as if you know, we like it or we enjoy it. No, we don't do that, but we recognize that the heart of my Savior for me is so strong that I don't need to fear what pain or suffering might do to me. Because Jesus opened up his heart to the people he came to serve, he experienced all of the betrayal, all of the pain, all of the suffering that we could ever experience in this life, and then some on top of it. And he had every opportunity to to turn around, to run back to his father and to just be done with us. But instead, he looked pain and suffering in the face and he said, my bride, the church, you are worth it. Because of what he's done, this, this great age of salvation that he's ushered in, we have the ability, we have the freedom to be able to open our hearts to whatever may come our way because Christ is worth it and he will be worth it. So we open up our our hearts to people in this life, to people in this room, to friends in Christ with all of the insecurity, all of the potential pain that comes with that. What we're really doing is we're preparing our hearts for the day when we stand before God in glory with hearts wide open before him and we are filled with joy, everlasting joy, sweet joy. There will be a day when that happens. Now is the the favorable time to embrace the grace of God as we look ahead to that day, the sweet salvation that is on offer. There's no reason to wait, friends. There's no reason to fear. This is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Let's pray together. Father God, we, uh, we confess that we need your help to endure. We need your help to be able to be open with one another and with you, God. Would you do that work in us tonight and in the days ahead? God, we uh, are so thankful for a Savior who gives us freedom to be able to do hard things, to be able to pursue our friends and neighbors, God, because we know that his work is strong enough for whatever will come our way. 
and what he has done is strong enough to cover over all of our sin and selfishness and wickedness, and we can rest secure in that. God, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.